That was the opening music to Yankee Doodle Dandy, released in 1942. And it was directed by Michael Curtis. And stars James Cagney, Joan Leslie, Walter Houston, Richard Worf, Irene Manning, George Tobias, Rosemary DeCamp. Jan uh, is it Janine? Jeannie? Jeannie Cagney? Jeannie, I yeah, I think it's Jeannie Cagney, yeah. I'm going to keep going. I have, I have, I'm going to stop here eventually, though. Francis Langford, George Barbier, and S.Z. Sakal, who I was surprised. I didn't realize he was in this movie, but I, I had to laugh when I saw him because of what we'd seen him in before. He's, he's funny. He's, he's great. As his nickname is uh, Cuddles. Cuddles, yeah. He's perfect for that. I read a little trivia that said that uh, James Cagney felt that S.C. Sakal was upstaging him in every single scene, and he refused to work with him after this movie because of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I tell you, the ego of, you know, actors. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from, actually, it's kind of spring-like here today. It's in the 50s, and I don't know what happened to our snow, but it's all gone. And... You're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us at ClassicMovieReviews.net and on Patreon. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank our newest patron, Arthur Schoolco. And Arthur, thank you so much for becoming a patron and also for all the amazing movie suggestions you've sent our way uh, via Facebook. So keep those coming and we'll definitely be doing some of those movies here in the near future. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in uh, Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and a welcome to our guest today, Nancy Rubin. Thank you, Nancy, for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me. So we're all here. Excited to have you on today. This is fun. Did you want us to sing a Yankee Doodle Dandy or should we just pass on that? Oh, I'd love to hear. <laughs> yeah, right. There are over over twenty songs in this film. It's amazing. It was fun to see them all dancing, and some of the sets, the set design on, on those Broadway shows were were really incredible. I, I'm thinking of that one where the the ship sort of like set sail, and then it looks like it's off in the distance. And yeah. Then they shoot they shoot that firework off of it. That was that looked really cool. That was pretty good for like nineteen in the 1930s. Yeah. Well, the, the director, Michael Curtiz. Curtiz. Oh, okay. Got it's that a, it's an Americanized version of his real name, which I don't have in front of me. Oh, his real name is Mano Keminar, and uh, he did over 150 films all over Europe and, and in the U.S. Finally, uh, I read where Warner Brothers was successful in recruiting him to come to the uh, U.S. because they needed somebody to really upgrade their whole production process, and he was the guy they brought in. His son said that he uh, spoke five languages, none of them well. Oh, wait a minute. He, he directed White Christmas and Casablanca? Yeah. Oh, I should have done my homework a little bit more. He Listen to The, the Adventures of Robin Hood, 1938, Casablanca, 1942, Mildred Pierce, which is a real melodrama in 1945 that Joan Crawford won an Academy Award for, White Christmas... And one I forgot, he did an Elvis Presley film 
King Creole. I mean, we reviewed White Christmas, and I'm sure we talked about him, but it's been so long ago I forgot. He, he was quite wealthy, but he lived at a place called Horse Height Estates, which is kind of average. It's an up, upper middle class development. But he stayed there. He loved that because he didn't like the high lifestyle, but he liked to play poker and swim. He was just a regular guy who was worth a bundle of money. Yeah, but that's kind of that's kind of what's neat about that area, though, too, in some ways, because uh, you know these these people that we read about are they just they're doing their job, right? They're going to work, they're making movies, and then they go home and they have other things that they're interested in, and they live in neighborhoods and have neighbors. And I mean, you have some pretty interesting neighbors too. We don't have to say who they are, but um, it it's kind of the way that it is down there. I feel like. Well, yes, it is the way it is. And same when you go to the grocery store or the car wash, you know, like we like we said, they're just normal people doing their normal thing. Yeah, every once in a while I'll get a text from, from either you or, or dad and it'll be like, guess who we saw today? <laughs> I know, like, it's oh, usually cool. in the strangest places. I remember being at one of the Ralph stores in the neighborhood and I went around the aisle into aisle seven or eight and there's James Cameron looking at different, I don't know what he was looking at, but different kinds of uh, canned goods. Yankee Doodle Dandy, I, I read about the background on it, and um, apparently uh, James Cagney had come in for some criticism because he had um, been named in a report about allegedly belonging to a left-wing progressive organization, and he'd given money to the uh, Spanish Civil War, the Republican group which was uh, uh, fighting the Germans and he got some bad press and his career was kind of on a downturn and his brother I love this quote his brother said we've got to do this movie because uh, Cagney didn't want to do it he didn't like James M. Cohen because of some stuff that took place in 1919 uh, but his brother said you got to do this for your career well, I read that James M. Cohen was actually really conservative, not not like he's just you know portrayed in this movie. So I can see where maybe he, James Cagney felt that way. I, I was going to move us to a little different uh, part of the film, and that is it was the largest or highest grossing box office film that Warner Brothers had ever done up till that time. Wow. So it, <laughs> it, it, People flocked to see it, and I think part of it was the timing, and part of it was the patriotic nature of it, and part of it was just the overall story and his dancing. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a very like fun movie to watch, and again, if you can kind of compartmentalize, which I don't think you should do or is easy to do, but just the dance numbers and kind of his 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 rise to what did they call him, the King of Broadway or something like that? He had a name, the owner of Broadway. Oh, Cohen. Uh... Yeah, he had so many big hits on Broadway. Well, it was watching the movie was like going to four or five Broadway shows. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. But it was it was so funny though at the end. I I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but when he's kind of retired to his country farm and he's just lounging around in his hammock and then these young kids come up and they had never heard of him before or any of the things that he's done and I just thought that's just so classic, you know, like It is. Are you an actor, sir? Used to be. What were some of your pictures? Oh, not in pictures. Uh, I was on Broadway in the legitimate theater. Oh. What's your name, sir? Cohan. Cohen? Cohan. George M. Cohan. I guess you must have been before our time. Yes, guess I was. 
Well, were you ever in some big shows? Yeah, a few. Like what? Oh, uh, like uh, Little Nellie Kelly, uh, the Tavern, Our Wilderness. Huh? Mm, raising a vacuum bottle. Well, I guess your parents must have seen me, uh, fathers and mothers. Maybe they have. I never heard them talk about it. Uh, have you ever a song called uh, Give My Regards to Broadway? Mm, I don't no, think so. Sir. Who sang it? Who sang it? Oh, was it a theme song or something? Was that a follow-up to Beat Me Daddy Eight to a Bar? Yes, or Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those Jeepers? Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Come on, kids, time's a-wasting. Well, we got a scram now. Swing a session. Thank you very much, Mr. What was your name again, Cohan, sir? Cohan, George Cohan. Oh. Goodbye, Georgie. You're cute. Nice old guy. Yes, we gotta get that session. Let's go. Come on, we got places to go. <laughs> I, had the, I had the same feeling, like, yeah, like, uh, wow. The world just keeps on going, going you know? on. I, I when I watched Cagney, particularly because he made so many different kinds of movies, it, it wasn't. It was like six or seven years later. He needed another boost, so he returned to his 1930s roots when he did White Heat in 1949, where he plays this vicious criminal. <laughs> it's like he, he's such a good actor. He's this song and dance. When he comes down the stairs at the White House and dances down those stairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nancy was telling me that was totally improvised. That was so, that was so impressive. That, I just kept expecting him to fall. And then yeah. six, seven years later, he's in this movie where he's trying to hold up every train in the West. And his mother and he are, are hardened criminals, and he blows everything up. Oh, like, <laughs> well, that's how I always think of him, is that more of that character. I know. And, I, and I know I'd heard of this movie before, but I'd never watched it, so this was my first time. And I was so blown away by his talent of, as, a, as a music man, as a dancer and singer. I, I remember being afraid of him when I was a little girl. He was so scary, you know. They show that picture of him putting the grapefruit in that uh, actress's face hundreds of times. And I was afraid of him. And so when I saw him in this movie, I thought, oh, that must be the real him, not the mean guy he always played. <laughs> I'm going to have to read about his life because he really wanted to retire or, or actually when he was still working he wanted to be a farmer on his uh, New York farm that he had and uh, he was pretty successful at that it was a profitable operation way up state New York and uh, so many people would come by to see the farm and try to see him that he had to hire security people to kind of keep him away oh my gosh there's one story I, I, I assume these are real I uh, um, Spencer Tracy was going to come to visit him at his farm in upstate New York and the cab driver said I'm not going to go into that farm because they have the security and they don't want anybody to come in so Tracy had to walk from the entrance of the farm to, to Cagney's house on his own <laughs> even, even Spencer Tracy couldn't get in yeah <laughs> so he loved, he loved the rural life but they finally got him to come out of retirement for a film that you and you and I and, and Ben went to uh, when we lived in Dayton, Ragtime. Oh, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, which is another film that we can't. It doesn't fall within the purview of what we do, but it's another multifaceted film about racism and all kinds of things. He plays, and I love this character's name, a real person, by the way. 
Commissioner Rhinelander Waldo. <laughs> and it's a true, it's kind of a, it's a mostly true story of what was going on, I think, in Philadelphia. But, uh, yeah, quite an actor. Everybody in this film is, is quite talented. Walter Houston? Uh, wow. Yeah, Walter Houston, yeah. Joan Leslie playing Mary, she was... I think she was only 17 years old when they filmed this, and she she did a great job of playing a Mary through different ages, you know, all the way up to, I guess, in their 60s. Uh, and they, they made it even better because, actually, George Cohan had two wives. He was married twice, so they combined them into a composite, and that's the character that Joan Leslie had. I have to say, I was a little surprised that he was only married once when I was watching the movie. <laughs> so that makes more sense that in real life he was married a couple times. But that was a lovely song. I love that song, Mary. I have a friend, Mary, and it's exactly the way she is. Even in the kitchen, you sound like a Tetrazzini. In Buffalo, they say I have a nice little voice. What they know in Buffalo, in Buffalo they thought I was an old man. Well, how do you like your part so far? Oh, I like it. I like it because it's small. I'd be afraid to try anything bigger. Well, you've got something on the leading lady. You've got the best song on the show. Here it is. It's finished. Come on. Well, what about the lyrics? Hmm? I'm going to give it to you now. Sit down and give me a pickup. My mother's name was Mary. She was so good and true. Because her name was Mary, she called me Mary, too. She wasn't gay or airy, but plain as she could be. I'd hate to meet a Mary who called herself Marie. For it is Mary, Mary, plain as any name can be, but with propriety, society will say, <laughs> Marie, but it was Mary, Mary, long before the fashions came, and there is something there that sounds so square, it's a grand old name. For it is Mary, Mary, plain as any name can be, but with propriety, society will say, Mary, but it was Mary, fashions came and there is something there that sounds so square it's a grand old name gee i never cared much for my name before it was kind of common gee there are millions of marys around but now but i didn't write it for the millions of marys i wrote of one particular very special mary it's a wonderful feeling having your name written in music. And not bad music either. Nope, it isn't. But how will everybody know that I'm the Mary? I want to make sure that everybody knows it was written for me. They'll know all right. When they look at you singing that song and then look at me looking at you, they'll know. Oh, 
George. Take that up an octave. George. Better. I mean, I love that she was so excited to be able to sing it, but then was kind of realizing that she couldn't, you know, that, that he had to give it to the other actress in order to kind of make that show a, a success. But I, 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 I like their relationship. I thought they had like a very like understanding relationship. And I laughed at, I laughed later in the film when they're back again later at the farm and his old partner, Sam Harris, played by Richard Worf, needs some help, you know, because he's kind of struggling. And so he, he calls up Mary and asks if he would, if she would talk to George about coming back. And, and George had been listening in on the other line the whole time. And I got a long distance call from Sam Harris this afternoon. What about He's producing a new show by Kaufman and Hart. They're good writers. Nothing I can do to improve their stuff. Sam thinks you could, if you played the lead. Play the lead? Now, what is the matter with that man? Hasn't he got any sense at all? What's he trying to do, spoil our fun? But are you having fun, George? When we were in Europe, you haunted every theater, not knowing a word that was said on the stage, going back, congratulating the actors. They didn't even know what you were talking about. Just to smell that grease paint again. You sound as though you think I'm stage struck. The only reason I ever go near a theater is to get out of the night air. Fun, I'm having a wonderful time. I have nothing to do with Broadway. Sam says it's a great part. No other actor in the world, but you could do it. That just the one with that Harris Khan. He needs me about as much as he needs a hole in the head. He really does need you, George. He's in trouble. If positions were reversed, he'd help you out. You know he would. Besides, he never said so, but Sam's broke. Can you think of any more reasons? Yes, I want you to. Well, that's settled it. I've never refused you anything, have I? We do it. Come on, let's get packing. We're all packed. What? We're all packed, dear. Now you can start getting mad all over again. I told Sam I'd talk you into it. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> Just full of news, aren't you? Telling me all kinds of things, huh? Well, I want you to know I knew it all the time. I was listening in on the phone downstairs while you were talking to Sam. Why, you devil! You knew it all the time! And what's more, I phoned Sam right back and told him I'd play it. Oh, I ought to pop you. <laughs> you... Oh! It's just that was funny how they kind of were kidding around with each other there at the end. It's a well-written uh, story for sure. Um, do, do, do each of you have a favorite song from the movie? There's so many of them. I got I got to say I got kind of moved by the song over there when when they were actually out on the battlefield and then the power went out, and I thought that was pretty powerful. Get your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take it on the run, on the run, on the run. Hear them calling you and me. Every son of liberty. Hurry right away, no delay, go today. Make your daddy glad to have had such a lad. Tell your sweetheart not to hide. To be proud of boys in
soldier. Keep singing, Nora. Weather lights. Oh, suppose the generator's gone again. Hit your lights and play them on the stage so we can keep going, will you? All right. You do that fine. Thanks. Hey, boys, hit your lights and keep them on the scene until the others come up, will you? Certainly. That's fine. Thanks very much. Let the Yanks are coming. The Yanks are coming. I think I'm going to stick with Mary just because I know when, and that song describes her perfectly. But my second would be... Uh, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah, that's my <laughs> yeah. that's my top. I could hear that every day. I'm the kid that's all the candy. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. I'm glad I am. I'm a real-life Yankee Doodle, made my name and fame and boodle, just as Mr. Doodle did by riding on a pony. I love to listen to the Dixie strain, I long to see the girl I left behind me. That ain't a Josh, she's a Yankee by gosh. Oh, say, you see? Anything about a Yankee, that's all for me. Little Johnny Jones, the jockey from the USA. We'll ride the pony, Yankee Doodle, English Derby Day. Jonesy's broken records, every track and every beat. So Yankee Doodle's gonna be the boy they have to beat. Sportsmen of the British House who followed his career have offered Johnny anything to keep him over here. But all the money in the Bank of England couldn't pay enough to keep young Johnny Jones away from old Broadway. If you want to take a trip, the surest of sure things. Have your houses mortgaged, hock your watches, pawn your rings. And put it all on Yankee Doodle, Johnny Jones is up. I'm gonna give America the English Derby Cup. He's gonna give America the English Derby Cup. I'm a Yankee Doodle dandy. Yankee Doodle do or die. A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. I've got a Yankee Doodle sweetheart. She's my Yankee Doodle joy. Yankee Doodle came to London just to ride the ponies. I am that Yankee Doodle boy. He's a Yankee Doodle man. He won, he won Best Actor Academy Award for his role in this film. So that was a success also. And the film had seven other nominations and one in two of them. Never won as best director or best picture, but uh, it was best, it was a hit. Best sound recording and best music scoring of a musical picture were the other winners. I just tried to imagine myself as my dad and mom going to the theater to see this in May of 1942. After Pearl Harbor, my dad went to enlist, and he was too old and had too many kids, so they he he. He he was like Cagney in the movie. He was too old to go to world to, to go to the to the go to the front. So I bet he was in a good good enough shape where he could have though. Yeah, just they had an age just, requirement. He was over that, so that was that. Yeah, Cagney wasn't too pleased about not being able to go, and he did that little dance number to show yeah. everybody, that, hey, I'm in <laughs> better okay. shape than all of you folks. I got this. Nancy's dad spent four years in the Pacific. Yeah, he. Um... My dad went to Pearl Harbor a month after uh, after December 7th. So it was January when he went. And so I, too, thought about my folks. There he was 
uh, in the Pacific and my mom was probably going to the movies. I, it's, it's just oh, yeah. a really interesting wow. time of life. And they never got any leaves. I mean, when they went, if they went in early 1942, they may not have gotten back home until late 1946. No breaks at all. Well, and also, I think just being able to get letters back home and, and word back home that you're okay was probably so much more difficult. And so you probably you would probably go months and months without any word of, of how they were doing, I would imagine. That's so... That's... That's that's rough to think about, but I also think you know, related to this, I think it's it's again it's a movie of its time, and we we have to really be careful to. I, I think we've spent a good amount of time today talking about how it sits with us today, but I think to your point, mom, like going if if you had a loved one off at war and and you were feeling down, this movie would make you feel, I imagine, pretty more you know more upbeat about what was going on and, and maybe you know like we're doing this for the right reasons you know more more patriotic i i think what um president roosevelt was trying to convey was anything that uplifts the people during wartime has great value for the country and um i i do think that people came out of that movie feeling not you know, not forever, maybe not even for a day, but for a brief moment that everything was going to be okay. So that does um, have value at a time like that. So I, I wanted to talk about a couple other things. We should also talk about maybe the, the plot and his his development as a character in the movie and based on a real person. But um, this was apparently the first movie that... Uh, was colorized using a computer colorization technique and then played um, on the Superstation, the TBS Superstation, which later became Turner Classic Movies, the Turner oh. Network. And I found a couple uh, neat videos on YouTube that talk about this, and, and uh, I'll put uh, some links in the show notes, but uh, this was, they had a series of old movies that they colorized, and the first one that they did was Yankee Doodle Dandy. And it actually, it doesn't look too bad, uh, these, little, these little clips. Hello, I'm Bill Tosh, and I'd like to welcome you to a very special television event. This is the first presentation of Color Classics. Each month, the Superstation will present world premieres of newly colorized versions of some of the finest black and white films ever made. The films are converted to color through a special computer process after extensive research to determine what the film would have looked like had it originally been filmed in color. Key scenes are converted. The computer finishes the job by recording the color choices and applying them to each frame of the film. We're inaugurating the Color Classic Network with one of the best musical biographies in Hollywood history. Yankee Doodle Dandy. The film was made in 1942 and stars James Cagney in an Oscar-winning performance as song and dance man George M. Cohan. Have you, have you watched part of it? Or part of yeah, just, just like uh, like thirty second clips of some of the dance numbers that they colorized, and uh, not the whole thing, but that became so popular in the late eighties, early nineties, and now it's just uh, I don't think it's done at all anymore. I know T uh, Turner Classic Movies does not do that anymore. They they show the complete film from beginning to end, untouched, including the introduction and the intermission and the closing. I think it was a, a case where they, they, they suddenly had this technology to do this and, it, and, and then it, they all got excited about the fact that they could do this without thinking about whether they should do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, 
I think they eventually decided they should not do that. Yeah. Just imagine some of those film noir movies that we've watched. If they were colorized, they'd be, it'd be like a totally different feel because they, they, didn't, they didn't have it set up that way when they made them. One of our relatives, we were having a, a get-together and the relative said, I don't understand why they have to show those films from beginning to end, including the introduction, the, the entry music, the, the intermission, and the closing. Why don't they just cut that out? <laughs> but they're, I guess their their uh, philosophy statement is we're going to show it exactly as it came out in its original form, which has gotten them into some films that we look at and we think, oh my gosh, they really had that film made that way? Well, and I think it's a good philosophy because yeah. I think it oh, does yeah. it does prompt discussions like we're having today. And if you had, for the sake of you know the audience today, if you deleted the blackface scene or if you had you know altered that dance scene where the black people were just really used almost like props, um, I think it it would have done a disservice to our ability to understand history and and understand how things have or have not changed today. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, well, the, the the plot of the story, I guess. Well, wait, what? Well, what? One more, th- one more oh, yeah. funny YouTube video because I spent like a half an hour on YouTube watching old videos about this movie. In 1981, on the the Donny the the Osmond family holiday show, Donny Osmond does a Yankee Doodle Dandy performance. Do you know my favorite song from the show? Yankee, Yankee Doodle, Doodle Dandy. Dandy yeah. How'd you know? Well, it's everybody's favorite. Would you sing it just for me? Well, I'll tell you something. Yankee Doodle is never sung. Yankee Doodle is performed. Ooh. I'm a kid that's all that can be. I'm a Yankee Doodle dandy. I'm glad I am. So's Uncle Sam. I'm a real-life Yankee Doodle. Made my name and fame in Doodle. Just like Mr. Doodle did by riding on a pony I love to listen to a Dixie strain I long to see the girl I left behind me That ain't a Josh, she's a Yankee by gosh Anything about a Yankee that's a phony I'm a Yankee Doodle dandy A Yankee Doodle do or die A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam I just love that and I and I just remember thinking about at that time how popular that show was and how popular he was and and his sister too but I'll put a link in the show notes for that and you just got to watch it it's like a snapshot in time from 1981 was he pretty good at it he was well he was very talented I, th- I think yeah um, he's he a great dancer a good dancer and singer yeah so I don't you know he wasn't James Cagney level um i don't think but it was it was a family tv show so it was it was you know not i don't think designed to be at that level either so anyway that's the last of my youtube (laughs) i i read where cagney had two sprained two sprained ankles in the dancing part of the film because (gasps) of those moves that he made yeah it happened twice 
I mean, that form of dancing, I, I know Fred Astaire never did that kind of dance, who was also a superstar dancer. And I don't even think Gene Kelly would have danced that way, those moves and all. Yeah, I, you know, he does that real stiff-legged move. You see it a few times, and I can see that put a lot of pressure on your ankles. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. His... Well, they're a family business, if you will, on vaudeville, and you get the impression from watching the film, they're traveling all over the country on trains. That's the way it looked to me, too. Today, you'd be getting on the train to go to Salt Lake City, and then you get off there and then do the thing, and then go on to Albuquerque, and holy smokes, what a life. And that was the only way they could get the word out about what they were doing, because there wasn't you know, a, a national media or the internet or anything like that. So, well, I know my mom and dad talked about going to stage shows back in the '30s. That um, just you don't see them anymore. Not like that, anyway. I thought the, act, the actor that played the young James or George M. Cohan was was uh, cute too. Was he? <laughs> I think there were a couple of them. But it was they were very both... direct. Yeah. Yeah, he he was especially when he was the older as the boy of 13, I think that was Douglas Croft. He really he really knew he was talented and he was going to let everybody else know and his parents weren't too pleased about that. And I remember they had that discussion about how they were going to handle that and they ended up, you know, spanking him, which was another scene that you wouldn't see in a movie today, but guarantee in third or fourth billing. Double our salary? You'll be with the best variety artists in the country. Vesta Victoria, Eddie Foyd, Warden Vogue, Claudia Collins, Charlie Case. Just a second. I'm George M. Cohan. You said you're opening a theater in Philadelphia on July 4th? Yes, that's right. That's my birthday. <laughs> that isn't why we're opening the theater. The salary's all right. But how have you got the nerve to offer us 34th billing after my performance tonight? Is this kid in your show? Am I in the show? Who do you think was Peck's bad boy? Oh, I beg your pardon. I didn't quite recognize you. You didn't? Then maybe you're not the showman you're cracked up to be. George. Well, no, maybe I'm not. Maybe you're not quite ready for the big time yet. Mrs. Cohen. Mr. Cohen. Good night. Good night. Uh, Mr. Alvey. How do you do, Mr. Alvey? Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Alvey. Can I call you a carriage, Mr. Alvey? Yes, you will. Carriage for Mr. Alvey. Now, you see what happens because you wouldn't lay a hand on him all these years? Oh, her mother isn't supposed to do any punishing. She just gives her permission. Have I your permission? You certainly have. <clears throat> Don't you think you ought to get my permission too, Dad? Not on the hand, he has to play the violin. All right, not on the hand. Not on the mouth, he has to sing. All right, not on the mouth. Come here. Here's one place without any talent. Oh! 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 Yeah, he had quite the ego. <laughs> he he made it possible for them not to get that really good contract with that promoter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean we're fourth billing? We need to be number one billing. <laughs> it's like, and his parents are like, go back there behind the curtain. They were like panicking, like, uh, yeah. and that. But he kind of got his comeuppance in that one because uh, he uh, was playing that tough kid, and then he got beat up by those other tough kids. Oh yeah, outside the theater. Oh, boy. But he finally gets a breakthrough with, uh, oh, which, which song was it that became his first hit? Oh, gosh. 
Was it uh, Mary? Was it Mary? No, that was later, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Mary was, Mary was, uh, it was a song that, sh that he wrote for Mary, I think, wasn't it? I think and... it was Harrigan. Yeah, and they maybe did it a was duet Harrigan. together. Yeah. There, there's so many numbers, it's hard to keep, keep them in order. And, but anyway, he does come up with, he does write a very popular song and, and they do a dance number to it and it, it does quite well. But then again, um, he, he kind of shoots the whole family in the foot by sending Mary out onto the stage when it was supposed to be the dog act and he got the dog drunk. And yeah. Mary was sort of like, no, I don't think this is okay. And, and, and George is like, yeah, it's fine. What, you know, like he kind of thought he was running the show, but the, the show manager wasn't too pleased about that and kind of got them blacklisted or blackballed on, on the circuit so that they couldn't get hired. Brought the whole curtain and the stage into a wreck. That's how, but that's how he ends up meeting Sam Harris, uh, played by Richard Worf, because he's also kind of a down and out uh, writer and, and they sort of, bamboozle uh sc sakal's character schwab into thinking that they've got this great deal with the other uh, other producer how's everything going george not so good kid not so good i've been pounding the pavement so long my socks have bunions say mac would you put a head on that please? you better will now, the villain turns to the boy and says, I'll tell the girl who you are unless you help me hold up this train. Think fast, it's due in ten minutes. You'll have the audience standing in their seats with excitement. I know, I know. The hero helps him, gets shot in the leg, and the girl nurses him, makes the hands. No, but, but, no, 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 he gets shot in the arm, Mr. Schwab, not the leg. Do you know what happens next? I won't be in the theater to find out. I will be down the street watching a musical comedy. Before I put $10,000 into a show, it must have songs, dances, and a lot of girls. Oh, women, women, little rose petals. Now, the big scene is where the hero saves the girl from a burning forest fire. It won't be terribly expensive, Mr. Schwab. I know where I can get a cheap fire. You don't need much of a fire. Just enough to burn that manuscript. Oh, here you are. I've been looking all over town for you. What? Come on, we've got to go over to Decent Dump and sign those papers. Papers? What, what, what papers? What papers? Oh, I see you don't want to talk about it in front of Mr. Schwab. Say, you haven't discussed our musical with Mr. Schwab. Music? Remember what we promised Dietz and Goff. Believe me, I haven't said a word about a musical. That's good because Dietz said it's the best musical he's ever read. Even allowed Goff to agree with him. When I told him about those 20 ponies and 20 showgirls all coming downstage oh, oh, at once... ponies and showgirls? Just a minute, young fellow. Would you mind telling me what you're talking uh, about? Waiter, waiter. Uh, we've got to check for this table. Yes, sir. No, 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 no. That's mine. Oh, no, no, no. Well, we won't argue about it. Glad to mention, Mr. Schwab. That's mine. No, come on, we can't keep Dietz waiting. Right. You are a fine guy. You have girls up your sleeve, you have bunnies and, and showgirls, and you don't tell me about it. What, what's it about? We gave our word to Dietz. Uh, we haven't got time for details. It's about Todd Sloan in London. The famous jockey. You know? Yeah, come on, Papa. Jockey? Jockey sounds well. Just my luck to miss out on it. Well, good luck, boys. Oh, uh, you forgot your manuscript. Holy Say, uh... Before we sign up with Decent Goff, I made some change in the lyric of Yankee Doodle. I want you to hear it. Yankee Doodle? But you shouldn't have done that. It was perfect the way it was. Oh, you're going to like this. Give the number added value. May, Watch I, it. may I listen a little? Well, think we should? I don't know. Huh? If you promise to be quiet. I promise, I promise. All right, come on. There's a piano in the private room. Yankee Doodle. Yankee Doodle. Yankee Doodle candy. Dandy. Yankee Doodle candy. Yankee Doodle. Thank you, candy. Yankee Doodle candy. <laughs> 
a Yankee Doodle dandy, Yankee Doodle do or die. A real life nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. I've got a Yankee Doodle sweetheart, she's my Yankee Doodle joy. Yankee Doodle came to London just to ride the ponies, I am that Yankee Doodle boy. I have heard enough. I will never forgive you for trying to palm over forest fire on me when you had that music law all the time. Yes, but we gave our word to Deeds. I can't understand it. Why is Deeds' wife's money better than my wife's money? Why? Must you give it to Deeds and Gaff? Must you give it? Well, uh, I don't know. I like Deeds, but I'm not too fond of Gaff. I'm crazy about Gaff, but I've got to use for Deeds. Gentlemen, you are in perfect agreement. I will give you a check to bind the deal. Here. Thank you. What's your partner's name? I don't know. <laughs> What's my partner's name? <laughs> well, don't toy with the kid at a time like this. Tell him. George M. Cohan. George M. Cohan. C-O-H-A-N. And uh, what is my junior partner's name? Sam H. Harris Shake. Hello? What, what should I write? Uh, Cohan and Harris. Uh, Cohan and mm -hmm. Harris? Uh, S.C. Sakal's character ends up backing this big stage play, which turns into a huge success. That's the that's the Yankee Doodle Dandy one, right? Because that's the one about they had the horses and the the ship. That was quite the production. It was, yeah. That the um, it'd be hard for me to imagine James Cagney being upstaged by Cuddles, because I remember those scenes, and uh, they were they were all excellent. Well, that's just what I read on IMDb, yeah. so <clears throat> take it for what it's worth. Uh, I don't know. But it, he, he turned out to be writing like several shows a year, it seemed like. They had a, they had a montage in the film. They were showing different marquees of different uh, plays, that, musicals that he'd written. And um, then he had that, that disastrous drama that didn't do well. And that sort of interrupted that, or gave it an interlude. But it's interesting because it came that that they made it seem like that came out right at the time of the sinking of the Lusitania. Yeah, I was reading it was not that way at all. It was they were like ten years between the two, yeah. or several years. I don't know if it was ten. And we were trying to figure out what Eddie Foy was doing in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a. Gratuitous... I was wondering that too. He probably had a contract with Warner Brothers, and they said, well, let's put him in here. Because it really didn't... Uh, it was like another vaudeville act right on the screen. Yeah, watching the two of them? Yeah. Yeah. And then off they went. That was it. He never showed up again. <laughs> I, I don't know. That was weird. I think it was just another example of how successful he was becoming and kind of knocking off other people that were also successful on Broadway. And letting them know about it. And, and ma making sure that they knew about it, yeah. yeah very clearly. <laughs> he becomes a huge success again, comes out of retirement. And I thought it was very well done, the part with the president. Because they tied it into the play that was on Broadway at the time where he was playing Franklin Roosevelt. Well, here I am going on like Tennyson's book, giving you the story of my life. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You should have stopped me. 
Why, I wanted to hear the story of your life. It has a direct bearing on my sending for you. Do you know what this is? Congressional Medal of Honor. Let's see what the inscription says. To George M. Cohan for his contribution to the American spirit. Over there and grand old flag. Presented by Act of Congress. I congratulate you, Mr. Cohan. I understand you're the first person of your profession to receive this honor. You should be very proud. Oh, I am proud. In fact, I'm flabbergasted. The first time in my life, I was speechless. I... Sure there isn't some mistake? Quite sure. But this medal is for people who have given their lives to their country or have done something big. I'm just a song and dance man. Everybody knows that. A man may give his life to his country in many different ways, Mr. Cohan. And quite often, he isn't the best judge of how much he has given. Your songs were a symbol of the American spirit. Over there was just as powerful a weapon as any cannon, as any battleship we had in the First World War. Today, we're all soldiers. We're all on the front. We need more songs to express America. I know you and your comrades will give them to us. Mr. President, I've just begun earning this medal. It's quite a thing. Well, it's the best material we could find, what with priorities and all. Goodbye, sir. And uh, I want you to know that I'm not the only one that's grateful. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you, I thank you. And uh, I wouldn't worry about this country if I were you. We've got this thing licked. Where else in the world today could a plain guy like me come in and talk things over with the head man? Well, that's about as good a definition of America as any I've ever heard. Goodbye, Mr. Cohan, and good luck. Goodbye, sir, and good luck to you. I thought they gave Franklin Roosevelt quite the booming presidential voice. It, it just sounded like an overdub of, like, I, it must sound very presidential, you know. It was yes. done by a guy who was one of these over-announcers on radio. They brought him in to be the voice. Yeah, it was a little bit of a disconnect for me because it sounded like the voice was, like, coming... It was like the voice of God, you know, like coming down from... And then the person that was actually playing Roosevelt was a captain, Jack Young. So it was a it was a Jack Young and a voiceover from from heaven. I I kind of like that that scene in the um, where he he was at the White House because it everything just looks so presidential and well I don't know if it's not presidential just so like quiet and 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 regal in a way. Um, not at all how I imagine things in the White House in the modern era, you know. Or during the war. Or during the what war, What would have yeah. been like there? Because from what I've read, it was chaos. So much was going on at the same time. But um, a good movie. Kind of at the heart of it is the real family story and the family connections between the four Kohans and... Um, how they stay devoted to each other. And I, I always find that um, extremely touching. There's that scene when it's the dad's birthday and he and George M. Cohan gives his dad a smoking jacket. 
and but and slips a letter in there thinking that he'll find this later but he actually ends up finding it right away and and he's kind of embarrassed but his dad reads that letter and Oh, here's a letter from George. Well, I don't want you to open that now. That's just between you, you and me. You haven't written me a letter in 20 years. I'm going to open it now. I'm going to read it. You don't have to read it now, do you? George, this is your party. Now you sit down here and let him read his letter. But I don't want you to read it. Sit down. Dear Dad, this is your 62nd birthday, and God bless you. Maybe I've never told you before, but no son ever had a better dad or one to be prouder of. You and Mother have always given me more love and understanding than I ever deserved. And all the luck I've had is due to the things you two have taught me. Nothing I can do would ever repay the debt. But here's a little present for you and Mother. From this day on, you and I are partners in every theater and theatrical property I possess. Half and equal. The Cohan Theater, the Astor, the Gaiety, and the Grand Opera House in Chicago. And all my plays and songs, as long as they or you and I live. Well, these are not my reading glasses. Why didn't somebody give me some reading glasses for my birthday? Wish you all my love. Your son and partner, George. Well, George, on behalf of your mother and myself, I... There she goes, stealing the scene again. <laughs> that was a really touching scene. Yeah, very much so, yeah. And then they, they quietly... Uh, didn't say much about the death of his mother or his sister. Uh, they were out of the scenes, and they were they were gone. His sister died very young, like 42 or 46, something like that, because they looked that up. But they just kind of moved past that in the film. Yeah, it was kind of sad how um, he lost his mom and his sister and then he lost his dad and he was kind of just left on his own there at the end yeah with well and and i mean he had mary with with him in the in the movie at least which is so he had that part of his family yeah it, it, the whole thing with the family was great i really loved that part i love the interaction with him and mary their relationship was great i love the music and the music the musical numbers um like you said it was like watching several different broadway shows um and then I struggled a lot with everything else that was kind of not said or subcontext or, you know, just sort of representative of the way things were at the time, in a way. I, I totally agree. Uh, who would like to go first with their rating of the film? I still have to figure out how I'm going to rate this thing. <laughs> Jeez. I, th these, these last three or four, I've had actually split ratings. Like, I would give this film, I'll start off... I, I would give this film a 10 when it comes to the uh, music and the family uh, presentation and the cinematography and the staging of all the musicals and all. And then on the other areas that we've talked about in terms of the social, racial aspects of the film, 
I'd probably give it a six, five or a six, six, I'll say a six. So a, a split vote of six and ten. Hmm. Yeah. I think my mind was landing. Or do you want to go first, Mom? Or do you want? No, no. Go ahead. Yeah, I think my mind when I was just kind of trying to pick a number was a, was a six overall. Um. But I I would say that I would definitely recommend watching it for the musical numbers and just the the kind of the joy of how much he loved what he did and and the family interactions i think that was really excellent it but it really marred it for me just the portrayal of of black people and and the lack of uh diversity in the film but really it was more sort of just feeling kind of like half thing i I just kind of left the film feeling like well have things changed that much like how much have have things changed like are we are there things happening now that just I don't recognize because I'm so much into like the, how things currently are. So I'm not seeing them just like they didn't see these things back in 1941. It just like, I, I don't know. My mind kind of was off on a, on a different track once by the time the movie ended. So I, I didn't enjoy it as much as maybe I, I, I could have. Well, I, I think I would give it a seven um, because there are parts of it I really, really love. And of course, now there are parts of it I really, really don't love. <laughs> but I can't promise that I still won't watch it on the 4th of July. It's one of these movies that it just points out how we're looking at films from 70, 80 years ago, or even longer ago, 100 years ago in some cases. Um, and it's almost like an archaeological expedition to kind of see how things were and understand how society was at the time. And, and then it, it does bring up questions of how things are today. And so for that, I think it's extremely valuable. And I think it should be a film that's like shown in film school or to kids um, in high school who are interested in film and, and just sort of even outside of film, just as a study of, of how things have changed or not changed in, in our society. A few days ago, after we watched it, I was saying that just imagine 80 years from now, people looking back on today and what we're doing as a as a world, they may have some of the same disbeliefs. Like, what were they thinking? You know that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. It's really exactly. hard. This this whole going back and looking at films, especially that since we've been doing the ones about race relations, diversity, and that sort of thing has really been good for me because it's made me aware of how much of that I grew up not really seeing, even though I saw it. And I lived in a home where it was talked about and, and uh, it was a very open and, and progressive environment for that. But still, to see it now from something that was made almost 80 years ago, it's been a real education for me. Yeah, I'm glad we've done these. Me too. And I'm super glad that you could join us uh, today, Mom. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for being with us in our cozy sound booth. <laughs> and uh, just in keeping with the parallel programming on Turner Classic Movies, uh, soon they'll be showing Odds Against Tomorrow. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I, th I think we have. I think we have a listener who is on the Turner Classic Movies. Uh, you know, programming committee or something. Well, I, I, I check every morning and it's amazing how 
just in the last couple of weeks, they've done that one and Sounder. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it's nice that we're, it's parallel like that. I have, there's no connection. I just. Yeah. Well, and to kind of, to kind of keep in that theme, we've got an American in Paris coming up next, which is going to be in the theaters, was on in the theaters yesterday. Oh no, on what is today? Today's yeah, it was, on it was in the theaters on on Sunday, and then it's going to be in the theaters on Wednesday. And I'm gonna try to go see it. I don't know if I'll make it, but uh, for folks that are interested, I think we've mentioned this in the past. Maybe a few other folks have gone out to to see it in the theater and can chime in with some comments about how that was. Yeah, that's coming up, and then following that, we'll see Cuddles again in in the good old summertime. Oh yay! He, in this in the upcoming one, he owns a musical shop. Oh, I'm excited about that. I really like him. He's, he, every time he's on the screen, I just I have to smile. Apparently, that was not the case if you were James Cagney. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our review for the for the for the movie Yankee Doodle Dandy, and soon to be coming up in American in Paris. Yep, that was it. So thanks for listening, and coming to you from sunny North Bend, it's Matt Johnson. And here in Los Angeles, Nancy Rubin and Bob Johnson wishing you all happy movie watching. I don't hear anything.